Have you ever talked to one of those guys you've seen high in the sky working on a skyscraper? Well, today you'll meet one of them as we meet a true man of iron. Welcome to Church Hurts and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality with a dash of recovery thrown in. Ever had questions about the jerk? Maybe a bit jaded in your attitude toward religion? Well, you've come to the right place. Our host, he was an honors philosophy student, ordained a Presbyterian minister, planted three churches, taught at a prestigious university, but now, now he's just an aging curmudgeon who never quits asking the question why. The host of Church Hurts and Dr. John Bash. Man of Iron. In our opening, we mentioned having a dash of recovery thrown in. What is that? Recovery. Recovery from what? If you Google recovery, the first thing to come up will be how to recover a lost or corrupted Word document. Now, that's something we don't have, we don't want to look forward to anytime soon, but we're looking at something far more important and fundamental. Now, that's easy for me to say, not panicking over a corrupted Word document containing months of work, but you get the point. Consider the meaning of the prefix re. It means simply back or again. It appears hundreds of times in the English language, rearrange, retool, readjust, reborn, reform, remember. I could go on and on, just choose different words if I wanted to redo this introduction. And then, have you ever been in a situation where you were responsible for too many things and the deadline was looming? You were running around checking on things and someone says, I got this covered. Wow. Does that feel good? Covered, protected. Now we have something that was supposed to be covered, but it was left out in the elements and too long. The storms came, the snow fell, the wind blew, and too much exposure has taken its toll. Maybe we should just throw it out. Or is it worthy enough to recover? I've discovered that recovery people are some of the most gracious, giving people in this world. They know what it means to be beat up by life. They know what it means to be exposed to too many storms. They know what it means to have a second chance. You get to meet one of these people who knows something about this subject today. His name is Terry Kolb. He runs this company called New Jersey Boom and Erectors. Welcome, Terry, to Church Hurts and. Good morning. Good, good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, Terry, what is, you do steel fabrication. I remember the first time you told me that. I had no idea what it was. Is that like a modern day blacksmith? Sort of. We purchase steel I-beams. We bring them into my shop and we fabricate whatever's, whatever we need. Stairs, rails, buildings, whatever, whatever we need, we can fabricate right here on premises. I mean, this kind of it reminds me of being uh, in elementary school with clay, but just kind of forming stuff, having fun, but you do it with steel. Correct. And I'm from Pittsburgh, so I, that means something got to get really hot, <laughs> right? Yeah, we we don't we're not a foundry. 
we buy steel beams and we it's a whole process of we have a, a in-house detailers that dr- make all these sets of drawings for us to follow and you know we got to know we send the beam to the shop we got to know where to put holes in it clips on it blah 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 so when we get out to the field it fits so it's a whole process all right. Well, I, I want to go back in your life before getting more into that dirty iron work. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's take you back <laughs> to 10th grade, because I know it was sweltering Miami heat and you were being told to go to school. How did you end up in Miami? Because your accent tells me that you're not from Miami. Absolutely. I grew up on Long Island, New York. First, I was born in the Bronx. I stayed in the Bronx. Till I was about five years old. From the Bronx, we moved out to Long Island. So I went to high school on Long Island. It wasn't it wasn't a good situation for me in, in Long Island. I was getting into a little bit a little bit of trouble. I was starting to starting to do things I shouldn't do. So I believe it was ninth grade. They sent me down. My parents sent me to live with my grandmother in Florida to go to an aviation high school, and it was hot. <laughs> <laughs> And so you were, wait, you were living with your uncle, my, my aunt, my uncle and my grandmother all in the same house. And, um, and you had to walk a little ways to school one morning, I hear, and you you didn't quite get there. Tell me about that. Well, my school, when we, when I went to school, they were so crowded. Our school was from six 30 in the morning till noon. And then there was a second session from noon till five. That's how big the school was. Um, but I missed so many classes in the ninth grade that I had to take an extra class. And you know, the old saying, I had to walk eight miles home from school every day. I literally had to hitchhike home in the sweltering heat, thunderstorms in the middle of nowhere, you know, for months and months and months to get home. I mean, I got picked up by the weirdest individuals. Some days I wouldn't get picked up at all. So it was insanity getting home. And, um, and the day you decided not to, not to go and you ended up getting a job in the 10th grade, right? I did. I wound up, I just couldn't do the school anymore. I wound up working in a, a place out in Miami. We were potting plants. I would take a eight inch pot and move it to a 10 inch pot. I, I did that like a robot for a, a little while. Uh, that was uh, my first foray into the real world. And yet somehow you got into steel. How did that work? Well, my father was an iron worker in New York City. And uh, I stayed in Florida. And then I wound up coming home, um, moving back in with my parents. And then I got into the union. I got into New York City local 580 union iron workers. I was probably 19 years old at the time. Um, So... I mean, I just, you know, back then it was all nepotism. So I just walked right in, you know, and I, and I started working. My first job was Trump Towers. No kidding. I didn't yeah, know on, that. On 56th Street. <laughs> now, and then you, you ended up meeting him one time and I'm going to, I'm going to skip that, but I'm picturing. So now you're working on skyscrapers in New York City. I mean. That's really what I picture. I picture, you know, those classic things probably from the 30s or 40s, those pictures of the guys hanging out on the I-beams eating their lunch. I mean, was it like that? Well, you know what? I was, there's two types of iron workers in New York City. There's structural iron workers and ornamental iron workers. Um, I was an ornamental iron worker. 
So, uh, for example, if you look at some of these buildings, all the glass buildings, I put up all this, the, the aluminum and glass frames around the buildings. We used to do all the fancy bronze lobbies, the revolving doors. Part of my interesting story is I am a steel fabricator now, and I've never worked for a steel fabricator, but we'll get into that. Like <laughs> I went from uh, an ornamental iron worker to a structural iron worker. It's, it's all over my head, but um, give, give me though a, a day in the a day in the life. I mean, what, what was it like going to work? Cause you did it for a lot of years, right? Yeah. When I lived out on long Island, it was, you know, get up at four o'clock in the morning, get down to the corner, catch the uh, maybe four fifty five bus to Jamaica train station, get on the, get on the train, maybe get out of Times Square, then take another train to your job site and get off and go to work. Um, you know, and then you get to work, you work for the, the unions in New York iron worker only work seven hours a day. So we'd get to work. We'd start at eight o'clock or seven o'clock. We'd be done by two, three o'clock and then back on the train, back on the sub, uh, the buses and then go home. That was a typical six day, five days a week job. And you, you, uh, at that point going home and going home, we should mention there's a, a woman in your life, uh, that you call your wife, uh, tell me about Gail. When did you meet her and, uh, started making babies? <laughs> so, um, this is about recovery. So I, I got into a little, I got into a lot of drinking and a lot of drugs when I was in the union, I was making a I was making too much money for a 19 year old. Uh, so by the time I was 21, I went to a place out of Long Island called South Oaks Rehab because I, I was just, it was too much for me. I couldn't handle it anymore. Um, I went to the rehab in okay, the wait, rehab. Wait, 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 stop a minute I'm before you get there. So too much. So really the day in life in the iron worker is you're working hard until two or three in the afternoon. And then you're drinking hard for two, three, four hours after that. We're drinking hard from lunch. Okay. From, from <laughs> noontime. <laughs> okay. And what's drinking a lot mean? Give me an idea. I mean, I, you know, most people think a couple beers, four beers. What are you talking about? Okay. By, uh, you know, you'd, you'd go to the bar at lunchtime. You stay there for half hours. Pound, you know, the bars, eight people thick. Just all the tradesmen would go to the bars. Typical bar. Everyone's drinking, drinking. You know, then you, you grab three or four beers to go back to the job. Um, you know, you smuggle them in, but back in, back in the eighties, it was nothing. That was almost the norm where there were shanties on site that you could buy a hamburger and a beer on site. Today you'd go to jail if you did that. So we would drink and then I would drink all the way home. And it was, it was just, for me, it was out of control. Missed a lot of time because I was, uh, uh, drunk or something, you know, um, and I just, you know, just couldn't handle it anymore. And at 21, you figured out, I got to do something different. I, I got to do something different. You know, I was making a lot of money. I had nothing to show for it. Uh, I would, I would consider myself an embarrassment because I, I we would get paid on Thursdays. Like 95% of the time you couldn't count on me on Fridays because I'd be out at some bar still drinking, you know, come Monday morning, I'm looking for $5 to get on the subway. You know, and I did that for three years. It, it was out of control, you know. And and you stumbled across this rehab place. Where was that you were telling me? 
It was in uh, it was Amityville, Long Island. It's called South Oaks. Um, I, I guess one of the, I think I spent my twenty first birthday in there. I celebrated my birthday there, was, so I spent the whole summer there. I was there for like ninety days, um, and in that in there, I met you know you just meet people, and one of the people persons I met, her name was Gail. Um, you know, we just became real friendly. Um, and then when, you know, when we got out, we instantly started living together, you know, from the time I met Gail to the time we were married was six months, three months later or four months later, we had our first child. I was 22 years old. I was back in a union. I had an apartment on Long Island and we had a baby. And it was crazy because I wasn't so, ready for it at the time. <laughs> so you did exactly what they tell you not to do. Absolutely. Which is find a romance in recovery. So she was in recovery. You were in recovery and you decide, let's start making babies. This sounds like a real wise choice. Right. <laughs> I would advise no one to do that. <laughs> yeah, all right. So, so you became sober as a fairly young man. Uh, you're starting a family. Somehow you decided maybe being an iron worker, uh, you wanted to get a little twist to that. And I suspect your wife might have had something to do with it. Tell me about starting your own shop. <clears throat> so my story is I was a, an iron worker. I think it was early nineties. The economy wasn't so good. I got hired on. My father was working for a company out of uh, Long Island City. He got me hired on because one of his, uh, one of the other guys on the site was going on a two-week vacation. So I got hired for two weeks. And after two weeks, they're like, you know what? We're going to keep you on. After a year, they offered me a, a superintendent position, meaning now I don't work. It's one of the most coveted positions in the union. You know, I was... 23, 24 years old, you know, I had 15, 20 guys under me that uh, I was in charge of. And then I, I got to be very friendly with the owner. You know, one of the things he did to me, he gave me a lot of responsibility. I ran all of his jobs. Um, then he started giving me side work. He's like, hey, you want to do this on the weekend? You want to do this on the weekend? And I was like, sure, sure, sure. And then I approached him. I said to him, I want to, I want to, quit this job and I want to start my own business. And I started my company as a labor only installation of architectural metal. Nothing to do with steel. I knew nothing about steel. So I did. I quit my great job. I was making a lot of money at the time, took a big risk, took this job on, uh, started my own shop. And then one day somebody would say to me, hey, uh, you're putting this storefront in, will you put the I-beam in? And I'm like, how hard could that be? Why not? And then one thing led to another. I got out of the architectural metal business and I started full time with the steel, with the structural steel and steel stairs and steel rails. It just, it snowballed. So recovery is uh, working pretty well for you. Um, we have more to the story. I just, I just want to break for a second to uh, mention your company, NJ Boom. You can find out more about it at uh, njboom.com. Uh, but I want to mention something about what I do. I, I work with Standing Stone and Terry knows about this. I have the good fortune of really applying a lot of what we talk about at church hurts and, and living the and life, but that's helping some of the people who've been hurt by church and by life and 
And uh, those people happen to be people who work in the church, ministers and missionaries. And if you'd like to find out more about that, just go to churchhurtsand.org. Um, we do it all at uh, the graciousness of your support, uh, nonprofit. Uh, if you would just consider clicking on the donate button and find out more about that. And while you're at it, if you're listening to this on a podcast, uh, subscribe, forward it to a friend who might be interested. Um, if you're listening to it on YouTube, we have a few people who go there and are actually seeing us, um, as well as Facebook Live. Again, if you would subscribe and forward it to somebody, we'd really appreciate it. And Terry, having said that, bottom line is your company grew really big. I mean, it's not like you ever suspected you were going to be a big company owner, I suspect, when you were working with steel. But it was rough and caused some stress of its own. Tell us the next phase of this. What I, Our company started taking off. And I have a philosophy is you don't know what you don't know. You know, I was a, a, a 10th grade high school dropout. You know, now I'm getting uh, my employees. I'm going from five to 10 to 15 employees. One of the things I think is so ironic is when I first started this, I had a my billing department was me with white paper and I would write on it and I would roll it up like a scroll. You know, and then somebody introduced me to um, QuickBooks, and, you know, and that's a typical you don't know what you don't know. Uh, you know, then my wife came on. She became, she started running the books. You know, we bought a building up here in the Poconos and then the business just started taking off, you know, and then we hit the, you know, the, the recession of 98, 99, 2000 was terrible. Um, and then it was like almost starting all over again. In the meantime, I'm, I'm still in recovery. I'm still not drinking, still married to my bride, you know, but the last, eight years has just been phenomenal. You know, I'm at the point now where I have a son who's running the whole, he's director of operations. He runs the whole ship. Just, you mentioned the Poconos that people are familiar to it. Where When I grew up on the better side of the state of Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania, <laughs> we just knew about the Poconos as kind of a humorous place that people would go for honeymoons if they eloped. Uh, so the Poconos really kind of a, be a beautiful place in Pennsylvania, but you use that as an operating in your trucks and everything. You're going into the city, going into New Jersey. I mean, you're really a tri-state company out of the Poconos, right? Correct. And, but as the company grew and had its ups and downs and the stress hit, um, at one point, I don't know, was it because things were going so good or things were going so bad that you decided that you could put recovery on the shelf for a little while? I've always been a guy that's drinking who's, I, I, I handle stress well. I won't drink, but when things are going good, I drink over broken shoelaces. So in about 06, 07, I figured, let me test the waters. It's been 20 years that alcoholism has, has, has had to have left me. Uh, but I learned in a very hard way, it, it did not. So that was a seven-year battle again with alcoholism. Yeah. It lasted a long time. You know, I made the classic mistake. Of, I, I stopped attending my uh, self-help groups. I, I stopped all recovery. I focused on the business and it, it backfired in a big way on me. Yet you, and, and man, it had its consequences in business and in your personal life. And 
so many ways, didn't it? I mean, that was not a good season for you. No, it was not. It was financially was horrible. My relationship was not very good. You know, things were just literally falling apart, you know, and I couldn't get sober. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get sober. You know, I really appreciate you mentioning the the good and the bad because so many people talk about they just got so far down. It was the stresses and the, all those sort of things. But there are those for whom it's like, no, life is together. Life's really good. I'm excited. Things go well. And when you're a drinker, I mean, there's any, any reason. I mean, I woke up this morning as a great reason for a drink. You know, I just got done work as a great reason for a drink. It's lunchtime. It's, it's Saturday. It's Sunday. Right. But for you, it was things are going so good. Let's party. Let's enjoy it. And that was not a very good party. Was it? It absolutely was not. My my weekends would start on a Friday, then they would start on a Thursday, then they would start on Wednesday, end on a Monday, and it was it was well out of it was way out of control. So what did you do? What finally, if somebody is in your situation, and you know people who get to where you are, they've tried a lot of things that didn't work, and what what finally let you make that turn? You know, I used to get up every morning and I would pray to my higher power to please let me stop this, you know, and it it just didn't work. I found a recovery program that I joined and I would attend their meetings. I would attend two of their meetings a day. I I started talking to the right people. I, I just changed a lot of things in my life, people, places, and things. Um, I, I had a new focus. You know, and it's been six years now and been clean and sober since. My marriage is better than ever. So I'm happy right now, you know. Well, a shout out to Gail. You know, weird detail. You know, I met you guys in the Dominican Republic many, many years ago. And you do have the most wonderful wife in the world. And um, I'm just so thrilled for you. And, and we, we have to wrap up, but give just that final word of encouragement, Terry. Um, you know, things can get better. Talk about what you're doing tomorrow because you're getting to be an old man now. <laughs> yeah. And um, you've survived enough of the winter Um, but you've been, you're packing up today and you're headed tell me how life is today. Well, today I am blessed to have my son run my business. The only thing I get involved with NJ boom is I, I get involved in the sales a little bit, but tomorrow I'm packing up my motor home. I'm heading South. Uh, I'll wind up in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida by Tuesday, Wednesday of next week. And I'm staying there till June. So I won't be back till the beginning of June. So I'll call your office every day, but I'm just going to go down there and literally relax, go boat and go jet ski and ride my motorcycle. And matter of fact, the next Wednesday, I'm heading down to Key West on my motorcycle, a bunch of sober guys. So I'm having, I'm really looking forward to it. Well, Terry, I want to thank you. Let me just say a word before we go. Um, there are parts of Terry's story, which when he tells them, and he wasn't that emotional about it today, but sometimes I want to cry. I feel for him at such a young age being brought to the end of his rope. Once, uh, he said to me, I think you are the most educated person I know. 
And it was so memorable to me because of how often I feel stupid compared to Terry. Terry's life uh, hasn't been in the halls of academia or the snooty private clubs of the suburbs. He's a working man's man who just happens to quite often be the sharpest tool in the shop. Beneath the rough New York exterior is a man who cares deeply, shunning the spotlight while passing on the credit to others around him. He may not have academic degrees, but he has wisdom, which is magnetic. I've offered to exchange my degrees for his bank account, but he doesn't seem to be tempted. I don't know about building, and I know even less about building with steel, but I discovered something recently pretty fun. If you want to get creative in a remodel and your carpenter says to you that you can't do it, ask a steel guy the same question and you might get a different answer. We live in a world where God continues to be out of fashion. Churches are wondering who will return after the pandemic, already having had too many seats empty after a few generations plowing the roads into the postmodern, post-Christian future. Travelers light up the legal joint, tip the glass to a godless future, and find new ways of escape from the stresses of life, winds of disappointment and discouragements from the latest self-help tomb or mystical therapeutic herbal solution. But if one's to look carefully past the tattoos and endless distractions of life provides, if one gets quiet long enough, they might discover in basements and back rooms people giving up their endless numbing pursuits to a higher power, a God above. They like the word powerless, when connected any addiction, divorce, sex, booze, drugs, having found their own self-will ineffective. And then one hears the laughter, sees the smiles, and strangely hope dominates the day. If churches hurt you enough to make you want to avoid the front door, consider walking around at the back. Beside the inconspicuous ashtray, you might find a sign for meeting times and the echoes of the words, God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back. It's worth a thought. For Church Hurts and this is John Bash. Go and enjoy God today, won't you? Well, that was worth a thought for sure. And brings us to the end of this edition of Church Hurts and. Next week, it's rumored we'll be walking on the edge of controversy, stirring the pot of denial, and finding movement of the divine. Our host, Dr. John Bash, is the shepherd with standing to us at churchhurtsand.org. Tell us your story while you're there. Until then, remember, Church Hurts isn't the end of the story. Now go into the end. Enjoy God today, won't you?